Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about a psalm. It will play in just a minute. Before it does, I want to let you know that we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions about something in one of our sermons, maybe you want to talk more about how it impacted you, or perhaps you just need prayer, you can simply visit creekside.me and you'll find all of the links you need to reach out to us. In fact, if you are someone who consistently listens to our sermons, but we've never connected, I'd love for you to go to creekside.me right now and just contact us to say, hi, I listened to your sermons. We'd love to be able to say hi back. Again, thanks for listening to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. All right, well, I never saw that video before, but this is my favorite psalm. So, and it is my favorite psalm, which is great. And I took from probably everybody else the most well-known, the most popular psalm out of the 150 psalms there are in the Old Testament. Uh, and so I will, I will say that again for you. We read it together. It's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in his paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And as I've learned it, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a good psalm, isn't it? Now, I've entitled this sermon, Where Did You Come From? That doesn't make sense yet. Where did you come from? I, I, I'm going to explain that, but I'm going to take a long time getting there. All right? I want to start my third year of undergraduate. I was taking a homiletics class. You've probably never heard of homiletics unless, of course, you went to Bible college. But homiletics is the art of preaching. How do you speak in front of other people? Uh, So if I do an exceptionally poor job today, you'll know the value of my homiletics education. I had a guy, his name was Irv Brenlinger, he was one of my favorite, uh, but one of the lessons he had, it was, a, it was a relatively small class, is he had us all come up individually, one by one, and read the 23rd Psalm. And it was, it was cool. It was interesting to hear other people read the psalm, the versions that they chose, the different verbal emphases that people have, the different dialects, frankly, the different clarity, the different cadence, just the way that people read the psalm was different, and it was awesome to see. And then, after we read it, so we got that sort of experience of just doing something in front of other people, he said, now when you come back next week, you're going to recite it from memory. You're not going to read it. You're going to, in, in, in a way, perform it for people. So now I, I needed to make sure that I went home and I knew this verse. The good thing was 
I had already memorized Psalm 23 because I was working way back in the day with my now wife. She and I were in the shop of the job we worked at, and we had a new Gideon's Bible. And we learned the 23rd Psalm together. And so I kind of already had it, but I needed to make sure that I didn't miss any parts because I wanted to do a good job. And when the week came, uh, we each individually again, we went up and we recited it. And some people are better than others, right? Some people just do a better job. And sometimes you can see that the problem was that they didn't maybe have it really memorized, so there's pauses and there's ums, and so practice was important. But this, again, was really cool because you, saw, you heard different versions and you heard different emphases, again, that people were doing. Sometimes there was clarity that other people didn't have. The way people were reciting this, it felt like it wasn't read, right? And I went up there as well. I did, I did mine, and I slam dunk, probably the best one, right, <laughs> as I remember it now. But, but there was something that I was picking up on that was almost imperceptible. I couldn't at the time tell what it was, but when some people read, and I remember one gentleman in, in specific that he was... Uh, an older gentleman. Uh, other people had the same sort of thing about it that when they, when they recited this, when they performed this, I didn't know what it was. It wasn't the clarity. It wasn't the sound of their voice. It wasn't the cadence. There was just something else there. And then my professor, after we finished, he came up. And he said, you know, here's the thing about the Psalms. If you can read, you can read the Psalms. And with practice, you can memorize and recite the Psalms. But though you can read it, though you can recite it, you cannot as easily mean it. And I thought, that's, that's what I was seeing. That's what I was hearing. The, the recitations of some, that almost imperceptible thing that I, that I could pick up on in some was that they weren't just reading it or reciting it. My goodness, they were meaning it, right? And isn't that what we want? That as we come together, we can read the Word, we can recite things, we can perform things, but what we want more than anything else is to mean it. With all of our hearts, we just want to mean it. And those people who were meaning it is because they saw the 23rd Psalm through the lens of their own lives. See, the 23rd Psalm was not just David's testimony. It was theirs. So I, I'm hoping that as we go through the 23rd Psalm, that you will see it in a new way so that when you revisit the 23rd Psalm or the 23rd Psalm revisits you, it'll mean something. And there are three themes. I made it easy 
for you, by the way. Three themes I want you to think about as we go through. I made it easy because it's God's presence, God's power, and God's prompting. Presence, power, and prompting. So as I go through this, you tell me if you pick up on these things. Presence, power, and prompting. Now, like I said, Psalm 23 is is David's testimony. It's deeply, deeply personal. There are no we's or us or they's. It's just David and the Lord. This is about his life and his experience with God. And uh, one of the things uh, that's interesting about the 23rd Psalm is that uh, pastors, uh, I teach, I, I can use the 23rd Psalm for almost anything. It's a bomb for wounded souls. It is so powerful because it speaks to virtually every stage in human life and the human experience. It talks of green pastures and still waters, but then it talks of dark valleys, of enemies and adversities. It's got this full scale of the human experience. And it is uh, something about David and his confidence the supreme confidence in which he says, Psalm 23, that you can tell that this guy has lived it. He knows what it is to be in the presence of the Lord, to be led, to feel the prompting, to be in a dark valley, to hug the knee of Jesus in this dark time, to to go through life where the Lord is the most important person in it. And uh, if you don't know, David was writing a thousand years before Jesus, uh, but he was a shepherd himself. If you remember, we just did VBS. I got to tell them all about uh, King David and as a shepherd. And so he, he fought off wolves. He fought off bears. He fought off the Philistines with his famous gibberim. He, of course, slayed as a young child the mighty Goliath. He was anointed king. But he was also chased by King Saul into hiding. He had many dark valleys. This is David's testimony. But my challenge for you as we go through the 23rd Psalm is to see it as your testimony too. One thing that we know for sure is that this 23rd Psalm was written in the crucible of crisis. That David had dark valleys. I don't, I don't need a show of hands to know that each and every one of you has had crisis in their life, has had really troubled and hard times. And uh, I want to I say there are plenty of adults here. There are some, some younger people. But have you ever, when you were a kid, gotten the advice from a parent or an adult where they look at you and they say, you'll understand when you're older. 
Or if, if you are a parent, uh, maybe you've told your kids this, or when you weren't a parent and your parents looked at you and they said, you'll understand when you have kids of your own. You know what is just terrible about that and what I don't like is that it's true, <laughs> right? There are things that I really only understood truthfully when I was an adult. The, the expectations that you never had, right? The bills and the deadlines, and especially when you have kids, this tremendous responsibility for another person, discipline, are you doing it right? Are you not doing it right? How do you know? Who do you ask? So there is this experience that we have as we go through life that sometimes we don't really truthfully understand until we've lived it too. So when my parents are doing things, I'm like, I would never do that when I'm an adult. You know, have you ever seen the kids on a leash at Disneyland, right? And you're like, I can't even believe that. And then you have a kid, and you're like, man, I need a leash, right? My son's going to just, he's going to get kidnapped. I need him locked down, right? The, the, the parents who have their kids in the little backpacks and stuff, you know, that's really because they're like, well, it looks better than a leash. <laughs> That's the reality of sometimes we're, we're not sympathetic until we see it ourselves. We've lived it ourselves. Now, everybody, like I said, has been through crisis, has had stress, has had anxiety, has had things in their lives that they have no answers for. And the reality is that our experiences inform our theology. Now, what I need you to hear is that they shouldn't determine our theology. The Word of God should determine our theology. But they do inform how we live our theology out, how we practice our theology. And so this, this 23rd Psalm, if we really want to understand to it, relate to it, and have it mean something in our lives, then we better start understanding that we are living the 23rd Psalm too. That the Lord, whether you like it or not, or know it or not, is your shepherd. And when you are in a dark valley, He is with you. But like I told you at the beginning, I've labeled this sermon, Where Did You Come From? I'm not going to reveal it yet. I want to slowly reveal the title. In the first four verses, or, or sorry, the first three verses of Psalm 23, David takes this gentle picture of a shepherd with his sheep to describe the relationship that God has with us and that we have with him. And... Uh, one of the most popular stories that come up whenever you look up the 23rd Psalm, look, I did a lot of research on the 23rd Psalm before I did this, and like everybody wanted to tell this story, so I figured I better tell it too. And it is uh, about a third grade uh, class that was tasked with memorizing the 23rd Psalm, and it's, it's good. In fact, I have my kids at, at uh, school where I teach, I have them remember the 23rd Psalm, and you know what? Nobody wants to do it, but afterwards, you know how awesome it is to know the 23rd Psalm? It's one of the most beautiful psalms to recite. 
Um, but this third grade class, much younger than what I teach, they were tasked with memorizing it. And these kids took it very seriously. They practiced, they went, and they, they did their best to memorize this. And so when the time came and the teacher was going to each child to have them recite this, you know, they did a great job. Some of them, you know, they're in third grade, they needed a little prompting, but you just give them a little push, and they were all able to finish. But then they got to this one boy. And you know how nerves can get to you. You ever just go total smooth brain, right? Where you're like, I'm ready for this, and you get there and you're like, I don't even know my own name, <laughs> right? I don't, I don't know who I am. This is terrible. Well, that's what happened to this boy. All he did, he got up and he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And he froze. Nothing. He's got nothing. And then he said, with all the confidence in the world, and that's all I need to know. <laughs> and he sat down. And his teacher couldn't help but laugh. Not just because it was funny, because it's kind of true, right? If you... Can, if, if nothing else, if you can really grasp and understand that the Lord is your shepherd and he is a good shepherd, then what else is there to know? You are well taken care of, right? But as we go through this 23rd Psalm, that beginning is good. It's great, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing or I shall not want. I've got everything. I've got green pastures, and I've got still and quiet waters. And we know, I don't know if any of you come from a farming background. Any of you come from a farming background? Very cool. Now, we know that David is a shepherd, and it's, and it's hidden here because it says still waters or calm waters. In other words, the water's not moving. Sheep do not like to drink from moving water. They want still water. Now, there could be many reasons. Sheep aren't the smartest animals, which, you know, great being compared to a sheep, I guess, <laughs> right? Uh, when you need a crook on a staff to pull sheep away from things all the time, you're dealing with not the smartest of animals, right? But sheep don't like moving water. And also, they have wool, and when wool is wet, it's very heavy. So if they fall in to moving water, they're going to drown and die. Sheep don't like it. That's not paradise. You know what paradise is for a sheep? Calm, quiet water. Lush, beautiful green pastures. Everything is right. This is luxury zone for sheep. But then it gets kind of weird here, right? Verse 1, 2, and 3, beautiful. And then it takes a turn. It gets dark. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in his path of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's bad. That's bad. Why are you going to a valley of shadow and death? Or a, as some say, a dark valley. There are, at this point, I want to say, two types of valleys. 
Jesus, in John chapter 10, he calls himself the good shepherd. And he says the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus is a shepherd like David compares himself to a shepherd. And he also in Matthew chapter 18 and Luke chapter 15 gives this parable. Now you've heard it in a, what has become a controversial song, uh, which is Reckless Love. You ever heard that song? He leaves the 99. Well, it comes from this parable. I'll read it to you in, in Luke chapter 15. It says this, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear him, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, would not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go look for the one that is lost until he finds it. Then when he has found it, he places it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Returning home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, telling them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. So the idea here is that our sin and disobedience can cause us to wander from the fold. But God will pursue you. If you've ever read the book of Hosea, it is a central theme that despite Hosea's wife, representing Israel, running away and being unfaithful, God pursues, just like Hosea was called to pursue. So when you are disobedient, when you're getting it wrong, when sin separates you, God doesn't give up on us. Isn't that beautiful? That God pursues you when you're getting it wrong. Now, some people have taken this the wrong way, and it's like, well, isn't that sort of reckless to leave the 99 just to go and pursue the one? Of course, it says they're in the open pasture. The 99 are safe. And I, and I want to give you sort of an analogy for this. Imagine that you are a father. Fathers, that's not a huge imagination for you. Women, imagine. You're a father of five children. You know, I don't, you can think of yourself as a mother of five children, it doesn't matter. You're a parent. You got five kids, all right? And all of a sudden, you hear, woo, woo, well, whatever, you know, the, the annoying fire alarm go off in your house, whatever it sounds like. You've probably all heard it when somebody's cooking and burns the bacon. It's going off, and you wake up, and, and you can see this billowing black smoke. You smell it, it's already in your eyes, and you hear the cracking of timber from flame. So you, of course, get up and you rush to the rooms of your children. And you are commanding some, grabbing others, and, and, and getting them all to come, and they're going down the stairs, and you take them, and you take them into the lawn, a safe distance from the house, and you get your kid, okay, there's Jim, there's Sally, there's Rebecca, there's Chase. A father counts his children. 
That's only four. Where's Lily? Where's the youngest? She's three years old. She's not there. And when he counts his children and realizes one is still in the house, what's he going to do? You know. It's intuitive. His four children are safe. He will leave the four to save the one. And he rushes back into the home. That is what our Father in Heaven does. He counts His children. And those who are safely in the fold, who are guided by the Holy Spirit, who are in His kingdom, He leaves to go seek and save the lost. As it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So this dark valley of sin or disobedience that, that separates us from God, God pursues us. If we are not part of the fold or have wandered from the fold, He will come and He will get us. Isn't that cool? The thing is, though, that's not what it's talking about here in Psalm 23. I told you there are two types of dark valleys. There's the one, as it talks about already in, in Luke and in Matthew, the valley of our disobedience, where we've separated ourselves from God, but He won't give up on us. You know, there are also dark valleys that the shepherd takes us through. There are dark valleys that God wants to take you through. Now that's different, isn't it? You have dark valleys of your own making. But what of the dark valleys that God takes you through? Now this is, this is a really important distinction. If you look at uh, the text, you can see it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You hear that? He leads me in his paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, the translation that's most often used is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Maybe you noticed it. If, if you don't know English well or you, it's been a long time, there's a really big switch here. When you're talking about somebody with somebody else, you'll say, he's kind of weird. She's kind of weird. You'll say, yeah, Jude is a funny guy. Third person, that's what it's called. I, you know, if I talked about myself in third person, you'd say that's really weird. Matt likes to preach. Matt likes to be up here. Now, wouldn't be strange if I wasn't talking about me, but it is. Third person. So that is exactly what David is using. He's using third person. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. But notice the switch. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Where did the you come from? In other words, where did you come from? You see it now? That is a really important switch. It goes third person, second person you, 
and then back to third person. Now let me submit to you this, that the reason, the reason David switches from third person to second person, the more intimate you, so he's talking about God to talking to God. The reason that David makes this switch is he makes the switch when he's in the dark valley. Now, David, when he is in the darkest moments of his life, switches from talking about God to talking to God. Don't you recognize that in your own life, how much easier it is in green pastured times and still water times when you lack nothing to talk about God. But when things are not going well, when it is dark in your life, when you don't know how to handle things, you begin to talk to God. In dark valleys, God becomes your hope, and in some cases, your only hope. Now, God takes you through dark valleys so that you learn to abide in Him, so that you learn to trust in Him alone. It's easy to wander and search for greener grass when you're in the light and all is well. Here's what's really interesting. There was a study done of 166 countries. It went from 2010 to 2020. It was in the Oxford Journal of Sociology and Religion. It was a big study. And here's what researchers found. I'm gonna, this is a quote. The most important determinant of Christian vitality is the extent to which governments give official support to Christianity through their laws and politics. However, it is not the way devout believers might expect. As governmental support for Christianity increases, the number of Christians decline significantly. The relationship holds even when accounting for other factors that might be driving Christian growth rates, such as overall demographic trends. The researchers found three paradoxes in the study. It's called the paradox of pluralism, the paradox of privilege, and the paradox of persecution. You might not understand it, but let me tell you, pluralism is when there are lots of options out there, lots of worldviews, lots of religions. When Christianity is competing with all these other worldviews, it wins. When the community that Christianity is in is surrounded by all kinds of other religions, it ends up growing significantly. Here's the paradox of privilege. When Christianity starts to become favored by the government, it starts to decrease. When there is no persecution, the church decreases. When there is persecution, the church increases. Christianity grows when it is most difficult to grow. What is impossible for man is possible only for God. Isn't this interesting that Christianity, when it is most difficult, is when it grows the most? It's the paradox of pluralism. It proves itself over all other worldviews. But if it is favored, that is, in other words, when, when life is easy, when there's nothing but green pastures and still waters, people merely talk about God and then probably forget God altogether.
But in areas where there's lots of dark valleys, people have learned to hug to the knee of our Savior. They've learned that their only hope is God alone. Now, so this is, they look at Afghanistan and Iran where Christianity is heavily persecuted. So in Africa and Asia, by the way, are the two countries where, uh, I shouldn't say countries, uh, in Africa and Asia, two continents, strike that from the record, uh, where Christianity is growing the fastest is where it's most persecuted. And of course, one of the uh, really cool examples is China. China is persecuting uh, Christianity on a state level. It surveils Christianity. It's tried to stamp it out. And in 1970, there was only one million Christians in China. As of today, there is 100 million Christians in China. It's the largest growing church in the world. Yet it is among the most heavily persecuted. There are a lot of dark valleys. See, dark valleys are one of the paths of righteousness that God takes us through. Recently, on a uh, server that I, that I run. I, I, I think I've told you guys before, I, I'm doing this online ministry with a few people that are here, and it's, and it's been growing a lot. And we had somebody come into the main chat area, and they were a new Christian, and they were asking questions, and we got to answer questions. But then just recently, this person went to the main chat area, and they proclaimed, God has abandoned me. I'm leaving. And he just left the main thing. And one of the older Christian men who's in there, he said, you know what? We need to be intentional about letting new Christians know about that area in the Bible where it says, if you're a Christ follower, you're going to suffer. And he said, then we also need to let them know about that part in the Bible where Jesus says he'll never leave us or forsake us. And I realized that in that moment, as a ministry, we failed that young Christian. And we're going to have a more robust robust discipleship program. We're going to make sure that we're meeting the needs of these new Christians. Because part of the Christian walk is suffering. And it's not just the suffering of your own mistakes. It's the suffering that the Good Shepherd takes us through. I have a quote here, and this is from an Australian shepherd whose uh, wonderful little book, by the way, it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he talks about the, the reasons why a shepherd would take a sheep through dark valleys. And there's really only one answer, and it's to get to some better place. Now, we recognize that as Christ followers, there's a better place. That Jesus is supremely concerned about your soul. And that he wants to make sure that no matter what, your soul makes it to that better place. So sometimes it's to get us to a better place in this life. And sometimes it's to get us to the better place in the life after. But the shepherd says this, The shepherd knows from past experience that predators like coyotes, 
bears, wolves, or cougars, can take cover in these broken cliffs and from their vantage point prey on his flock. He knows these valleys can be subject to sudden storms and flash floods and send walls of water rampaging down the slopes. There could be rock slides, mud, or a dozen other natural disasters that could destroy or injure his sheep. But in spite of such hazards, he also knows that it is still the best way to take his flock to the high country. He spares himself no pains or trouble or time to keep an eye out for any danger that might develop. See, when we're walking through some unfamiliar valley and the shadows linger, when you have cancer, and you don't know whether you should do chemotherapy or some other option, or your finances are not what they need to do and be, and you don't know what to do with them, or some relationship is broken with your spouse or with your friends or with your coworkers or with your children, or just something in your life is not going the way you think it ought to go, and you don't frankly have answers. When you are in that valley, you need to remember this. Your shepherd has appointed even this hard time as one of his paths of righteousness. He is leading you through this valley for reasons that probably won't be apparent, but rest assured he's taking you to his high country where the grass is lush and the sun is high in the sky. Every valley is a pathway for something better. As it says in Psalm 84.11, hopefully no one's doing that, and I'm not stealing any thunder. Psalm 84.11 says, No good does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. Or as Paul put it, he says this in Romans 8.28, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. See, the valley isn't good, but the shepherd is. So if I, if I put it in a nutshell, I'm going to swing back here. I know I'm running out of time. I'll be quick. Um, I want to swing back to those three things, if you remember. God's presence, God's power, and God's prompting. Hopefully you saw a little bit of God's presence in the dark valley, God's power to take you through it, and God's prompting for you to come with Him. Hopefully you saw a little bit of that, but I want to... I wanna, drive those home. So let's talk about uh, God's presence. So in, in, in verse 4, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So first he speaks of God's nearness, his presence. So when you step into your valley and it's so dark you can't see the path ahead, when you're grappling with these issues, you need to recognize that the shepherd has something he wants you to hear. I will be with you. So don't turn to other things. Don't turn to other solutions. Don't turn to drugs or alcohol or things that you use as crutches. God will get you through this valley. It says this in Hebrews 13, 5b and 6. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. 
I will not fear. What can man do to me? To illustrate this, I want to talk very briefly about an author. His name's Kenneth Wilson, and he uh, was writing a book about God's nearness. And he talked about growing up in Pittsburgh. He had a three-story house in the front that was four stories in the back because they had a cellar. And it was an older house that in the uh, top story, which was really just a refurbished attic, uh, there were lots of shadows and lots of creaks. Uh, but it's where they ultimately stayed because they actually rented out the second story and they stayed in that attic, the third story or fourth story, depending on where you're, how you're looking at it. But they stayed in the top, but he was the youngest kid. So if you're the youngest kid, you go to bed first. And so he would have to walk past all these rooms that were dark, and then he would go into this attic that had all these creaks, and the windows would rattle in the wind, and he asked his dad, he said, Dad, can you make it so that the, the windows don't rattle at least? So his dad would take matchsticks and like put it in and try to wedge all the areas to make it so it wouldn't shake, but it always did. And, and also, there's just the reality of a kid's imagination. There are shadows and monsters in every corner, right? And so so he'd be in the attic and he would often just be scared and the things would be rattling and his dad would go and usually read him a story and then turn off the lights and leave and then he would hear the footsteps go fainter and fainter and he was left then to his imagination. He was often very scared. But he remembers sometimes his father after reading him a story would say, would you rather me leave the light on and go downstairs or turn the light off and stay with you for a while? Kenneth always chose presence with darkness than light with absence. And isn't that really what it is for us? When we are in those dark valleys we just want to be assured that we are not alone. In your life and in those dark valleys, God may be taking you through that because he wants you to rely on him alone. In green pastures, we can forget how good the shepherd is. But in dark valleys, we're reminded of his presence and his power and his prompting. Now, a shepherd, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's interesting because the rod was this club that had often metal spikes and things put into it so that a shepherd could take out any enemy that would come, any animal that would try to prey on you. And it's very, very comforting when you have a powerful God behind you. I remember this uh, one time, really briefly, I was uh, playing soccer. I was a young kid, and I was pretty good. I was fast, and I was playing a game, and one day when somebody was throwing the ball in, I was jumping there like I was going to hit it, right? And then the ref comes, and he blows the whistle, and he pulls out a yellow card and gives it to me. Like, you can't do that. I don't even know what I did wrong. He's like, you can't do that. I'm a kid. So immediately, like, my eyes are starting to water, like, what I do wrong? I'm mad. And then I hear my father, a pastor at the time, 
yell out, you need lens crafters, which means, by the way, you need glasses if you don't know what lens crafters is. That my dad is dogging on this guy, by the way, so whether that's good or bad, all, all that is, those water, that water in my eyes, nah, it was gone because that was a comfort. I got a, I got a father behind me now that's got my back. See, that was my dad's rod, and it was a comfort to me. Right? You ever just be, you ever been protected? You have someone there that's got your back. So his rod protects you. So God's power in your life, you need to realize that in dark valleys, God is often asking you to trust him. Trust in his power. When you're in green pastures and still water, sometimes you can think, I did this. I did this. But in dark valleys, you realize man, just how powerless you are. I remember when my wife was giving birth, how powerless I felt. She's in pain. What am I going to do? I'm going to hold her hand and she's going to squeeze it. I can't do anything. I can't take this away. Right? God sometimes makes us powerless so that he can be powerful for us. Lastly, of course, so we have God's prompting. And that's the staff. Remember I told you they had the crook, which is that traditional shepherd's staff that would often just nudge a sheep or if he had to, take it by the crook and, and put it around your neck and lead you the right way. That when you are in these dark valleys and you can't see where you're going, that's when God shines the most. He's asking you to walk with him, not for him, not ahead of him. He's asking you to walk with him and trust that he's taking you to a better place. I went a little long, but I just I want you to hear this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You're a good shepherd. Stick close to him. Trust that he knows the way through this valley, and you will see that he will take you safely through. Believe that he has good reasons for taking you this route, even though it's hard and unfamiliar. And hold on to the truth that there is something better waiting for you on the other side of whatever, whatever dark valley you might be going through. And if you can say that you know what it is to have dark valleys, I think all of you can. And you long for God's presence in your life, God's demonstration of power in your life, and you want to follow his prompting in your life, then when you read the 23rd Psalm, you just won't read it. You won't just be reciting it. You'll mean it. Please pray with me. Lord, just thank you that we can talk about your Psalm, God, that even in this Old Testament verse, we see the Good Shepherd Jesus. God, that you take us through dark valleys. You lead us that this is part of what it is to be on a path of righteousness, God. That all righteous people, God, are on their way to your good valley, your better place. I pray that we would learn to trust you in these valleys, trust in your power, and to, and to trust your prompting to go through them, God. Oftentimes in our lives, we seek to go around our issues. But God, you want to guide us through them. 
so that we can be stronger, so that we can be better, so that whatever purposes you have can be met, that even when we don't know why, when we don't understand, that we would trust that you are good. And we just thank you, God, for your word, that it inspires us, that this supreme confidence that David says this psalm would be the same way we can say it in our lives, God, that we can see that the 23rd Psalm isn't just David's, it's ours too. I pray that we would be able to say it and mean it in the way that David said it and meant it in his life. And we just thank you again for your precious word. And we, we pray that we will trust you always. And in our dark valleys, we will hug to your knee. And we love you in your precious name. Amen.